right, welcome everybody to episode 13 of our podcast, Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am a DJ and a cultural curator based in Los Angeles, California. I want to introduce you all to my co-host, EB. EB, what's good? What's going on, everybody? I am EB. Y'all know me as the uh, musicologist, but I'm in love with everything just black and beautiful and soulful. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out of Brooklyn, but... You know, spending some time in another city for a while. Okay, what city are you in right now? Baltimore, Maryland. Be more. They, they, they talk Be like two and do and two, all that. Do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all that I don't so know what it is with the O. They they replace it with the <laughs> EW. It's it's crazy to me. I saw them boo somebody at a concert. They said be you. I'm like they they different out there. So it's <laughs> it's the way Monique talks. Yeah, the way the way she sounds like yep. the way they sounded on the wire like. Yep. So much, much love to my Baltimore family. I got cousins and aunties in Baltimore. So that's right. Salute to everybody out there. So this is Behind the Wheels. What we do is talk about everything black music. We talk about the past, present, and the future. And we always ended off with a fun debate for you all called Beat Match. So uh, before we get into it, we're going to catch up a little bit on some of the most recent topics. So before we get into anything, EB, I think I owe you some money, so I'm gonna send you these Usher bucks. I got, I got a couple of Usher bucks for you. So some Usher bucks. Got, okay. got some of these Raymonds on deck. So oh, not Raymonds. These Raymonds. I'm sure you saw about that. They said Usher was. I heard they cleaned it up. I heard he wasn't really tipping with the with the Usher bucks, but I guess he was using it as promo. But yeah, that's yeah. what he said. But I, <laughs> something tells me that he was trying to get away with using his Usher bucks and didn't think nobody would notice. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I feel like. I mean, it looks like real dollars. So. If you're gonna do it, give it give it to them when they're walking out the club. Don't don't mix it in with your real dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so But it's Usher. You know, Usher kinda do what he wants. He do. I mean, I guess he's trying to be a, a little problematic. He's trying to be like lightweight problematic, like like most of the R and B legends are, but Yeah, because he's know. at that age now where it's midlife crisis. So what they do is they just start <laughs> doing problematic stuff and that's what happens. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. So we're still learning more about that, but I guess it was his promo. He wasn't actually out there trying to be fraudulent. I hope not. I hope not. But <laughs> we hope. We hope. Yeah, that's all I could hope for. But uh, the main thing that, that, that I read about and saw was that Carrie Hilson had an interview, and I guess she said her and Beyonce made up. And then initially she was saying she wasn't dissing Beyonce. You remember she was on that... Um, what was the song that she was on it was where the she turning me on the turning me on remix? remix. Yeah. yeah, turning me on remix, and she had a couple little shots fired yep. at she Beyonce. Told her to go have some babies and sit down because she fake and yeah. I mean, Beyonce did. She went and had some babies and kept working. So she did. She did. And you know how the Beehive is. The Beehive is probably right there next to <laughs> to the uh, the Barb's. Like when it comes to just internet savages. So yeah, no, they're never yeah. gonna let nobody will ever let Carrie Hilson forget. That she messed up and called Beyonce out. The yeah. crazy thing to me is I don't even think Beyonce knows anything about it. Like she probably saw it and was like, "Who is Carrie? Did she was she my gardener? Like what? She's probably like, I don't gardener, know who this yeah. is. I don't. I didn't know we had a beef. Like yeah. Beyonce, you really think Beyonce sits at home thinking about Carrie Hilson? What is it? Over ten years later. I mean, the thing about Beyonce, from the more I read about Beyonce, for one, they say she is legit, like a nice, like. Like legit genuine person, mm-hmm. but she has a cutthroat side, and her cutthroat side operates in the sense of like she won't even mention your name. She's not gonna acknowledge it, but she will blackball you. She will make those phone calls, or either even if she doesn't, her team will. So her, yeah, I mean, yeah. ask Latoya and Latavia. I mean, yeah. ask Farah. They she 
still looking for her luggage. They never arrived. <laughs> Like wow. nobody shipped to her thing, so I, <laughs> wow. I mean I believe Beyonce, because Beyonce is very uh, I think she's business savvy and I think yeah. she's about her dollar and if she knows the power of her name, so she's not even going to mention you yeah. and give you any publicity, good, bad, or whatever. And, but not. Carrie, you know, Carrie has to have Beyonce's name in her. It's a part of her career now. It's a part of her legacy, which is sad because I think she's talented. But at this point, I think so. Like, what do you what do you think? Like going back to her peak was probably 09 in 2010, right? 09 yeah. was turning me on, the pretty girl rap. Yep. If, if it wasn't for that whole Beyonce situation, do you think she still would have sustained? Do you think she would have even... you think her career would have went the same way? Because to me, the way I see it, sometimes I feel like if your output is hot, it don't matter what happens with Fuse. Because, I mean, I would have thought Meek Mill would have been a rap after, after Drake killed him. But yeah. Meek recovered and recovered even stronger. So with Carrie, if she had continue making great music mm -hmm. or was it the case that she couldn't make it because the people in the industry didn't work with her like right i, th I think yeah. she still would have made music but i yeah. think by that time there were so many other people you know in that same lane what she had going for her was that she was writing for people as well yes she and was, i'm not yeah. sure if um if the trajectory of her career would have been the same if she had not dissed beyonce because who knows i mm. mean she might have been writing you know bigger hits for Beyonce, you know, she was already, true. you know, yeah. doing significantly well. And most of the buzz behind her debut album, I believe, was just off the strength of, oh, that's the girl that wrote this. That's the girl that wrote that. Okay, let's hear, you know, because I think a lot of times we think about the writers, they may be talented, but we don't get to hear them. You know, they're writing songs for everybody else. Yeah. But when she came out, like, and she had Lil Wayne on Turning Me On. Yeah, she had Wayne. Like, Killed that on. one. Yeah. And then what was the other one? Uh, Pretty girl rap. Pretty girl rap. She had a rock couple of them. She was had a an anthem. Tracks. The song with Neo, like that. She was she was big, you know. Doing like her, I think her and Sierra were both right yeah. neck and neck for like. If we didn't get a song from her, we was getting one from Sierra. If not them, you know, Beyonce. It was like right around that period. But she yeah. she she did a remix, and that remix. And we just talked about remixes. That remix was yeah. like one of the worst decisions that she could have made. Yeah, I, I totally didn't get it. I mean, she she did have a run. I mean, I'm thinking now she had to knock you down and even even slow mm. dance like on some slopes at the end of a house party. Slow dance would go in. So slow video, dance still and she and she had an image. She she could dance a little bit. She had she looked good. She had the videos, yep. so she had the polish necessary. But I think she was also probably a a victim of that era of where R and B was just like at its low point. Because if you think about it, people were even surprised about Beyonce. When she dropped the album in 2011, she made a pure R&B album at the peak of EDM. And it felt mm -hmm. like a lot of R&B artists at that time kind of got washed away. Yeah. So, it, so it was that on top of the Beyonce feud. It's like Beyonce was able to make R&B and make it pure and it was successful. But not too many other artists at not that time were able to. Not too many could. Not unless you were a legacy artist. You had to be somebody yeah, older. Yeah. And, you know, be on urban AC stations and... That's that, true. She was that more in that role. trendy lane. Yeah, yeah she had she, the young you know, crowd. She was still on yeah. Top 40 Radio. And you, yeah. I mean, it, it's just bad business. You cannot diss Beyonce. Beyonce yeah. knows. Like, anytime <laughs> after Survivor, I would say, because I think by the time Destiny's Child blew Yeah, by up, 01? Yeah, by 01. Survivor. Yeah, and then there. when Crazy yeah. in Love, it's like you, you can't, nobody, I've never heard any other celebrity say anything bad about Beyonce. Whether yeah. you know they Honestly, mean it or not, like I I can't yeah. think of anybody saying anything. Well, I'm gonna forget about uh, what's the girl who bit her at the party or something. Sanaa, 
We we not gonna I talk about, about that. Yeah, wow. you know, <laughs> they be coming for Beyonce. I forgot about it's that. It's just not fair. <laughs> it's just not fair. That was but crazy. I, yeah. But outside of her, yeah. I've never heard yeah. anyone say anything negative about Beyonce. So that's true. Maybe they had dealings behind the scenes that we don't know about, but they're not stupid enough to say it because you probably, still have yeah. to work. Like you know, this ain't you know 1991 hip hop. Like you can't put out a disc record and expect it to be hot and you you know shot into the stratosphere. No, you put out that disc. Yeah. And it's Beyonce, you and you dissed, yeah. you, you dissed your entire career. I mean, she became one of the Instagram people after that, you know, taking pictures with whatever man she was dating. And she wasn't mm. really like, you mm. know, you know, she was everywhere for a good two summers, a good two summers. It was like Carrie Hilson, Carrie Hilson. Yeah. Pretty Girl Rock was big. It was like Pretty Girl Black Rock was woman big. empowerment, like all ages. And she, 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 she made a mistake. Yeah, that's how I feel. So. We'll see what happens from here. I mean, I'm a type. I never hold anything against artists when it's like that. So if she comes back with some heat, I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna rock with it. But you if know, it's heat, yep. Yeah, that's the way I see it. So, so from there, it's time to get into that rewind. <laughs> Talking about the past and about these artists that we we grew up and that we used to love listening to. So the rewind segment, we always bring about we we bring back artists from the past that whether it's someone that we still do talk about daily or someone that we haven't mentioned in a while. And with that. Let's see, uh, EB, who who you want to mention for today? Who is your rewind for today? My rewind is actually one of the, I consider to be the greatest supergroups of our lifetime. It's Lucy Pearl. Mm. Ooh, so Lucy Pearl. For yeah. those who yeah. don't know, Lucy Pearl was a supergroup comprised of Don from In Vogue, Raphael Sadiq from Tony, 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 and yeah. Ali Shaheed Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest. Tribe, yeah. They started um, putting together this idea. It was just... Raphael and Ali and they wanted a singer on it and they approached Don and when they approached Don everybody has a different version of how the story went but Raphael says that it was always meant to be an open contract like no one was tied to Mm. that group no one was tied to anything where they couldn't work or do anything else that is what he says Don on the other hand says that she signed a bad deal because she was about to sign a solo contract and she turned everything down when they came to her mm. for Lucy Pearl. Wow. Raphael even says that their name, <laughs> Lucy Pearl, means like loose, which he thought the contracts were. That's what he said. It was like it was, it was, a, it was a loose type deal that was wow. precious like a pearl. This is his from these are Raphael's words. I never heard mind. that. I, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, that, that was it. it he, hmm. he and Ali came up with the name and it was a name that they didn't. They didn't want to give up. They were tied to the name before they even knew they were going to ask Don to be in the group. So, yeah, it said no one was bound to the group. So they hit summer of 2000. 2000, yeah. With Dance yeah. Tonight. And if you Man. were there, you know. Love and basketball. Did, yep, it was on the soundtrack. That song was huge. It was everywhere. People were just happy to see Don, Raphael, and Ali because, like, I think Ali left Tribe Called Quest during their, like, after their first album. I know, I know Jerobi Jerobi left after the first Jerobi left Ali was he was always there as a DJ but he was he wasn't like the act like in front yeah he wasn't the front man like right he, he wasn't was always, the front man yeah, yeah right and Don had left in Vogue like right around that time they had recorded an album where yeah. she requested her vocals to be removed from after the recording of the album but um they didn't <laughs> but um they kept them. They kept yeah so they all signed the deal Dance Tonight comes out it's huge. And then Don't Mess With My Man comes out. And it's even bigger 
by, I guess, September, less than six months later, Don was replaced with Joy from the Dungeon family. Joy did come. Yeah. Yeah, she was replaced. And a lot of people don't even remember that Joy was ever a part of the group because they had already released the first album. They had already released two singles and videos. So by the time September rolls around, you know, everybody's shocked, including Don. She said she was shocked too. She said she didn't know she was getting replaced. <laughs> she just thought that the group wasn't going to do anything else. She didn't know that they were going to continue without her. She thought everybody was going their separate ways, but they didn't. Raphael says that she was the problem. He talks about her ego. <sighs> yeah, you know, wow. people. other people have talked about Don's ego, so that's that wasn't surprising. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. but Don yeah. says that he was the problem. So nobody blames Ali. Um, she even yeah. says they were going to replace Ali with Q-Tip. <laughs> like there were talks and Whoa. she was meeting with Q-Tip. And this is what Don says. She said she and Raphael talked and were going to replace Ali with Q-Tip. And they had actually met with Q-Tip a couple times and discussed it. Nobody knows for sure because Don's going to say one thing. Raphael's going to say one thing. But had to put them in the rewind because Dance Tonight is still one of those songs that anytime you hear it, you know, if you if you're an older, if you're somebody a little older, you know, you, 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 you go back to that time when it was released. You remember that summer of 2000. You remember like, oh, you know, this is Don. This is uh, Raphael. This is Ali. Like, no matter if you were a hip-hop or R&B fan, because they had something for everybody. And if you're younger, then you probably remember it just from Love and Basketball. Love and Basketball. Yeah, I can you, see that. Yeah, you know it yeah. that way. But it was one of those things I was listening to uh, their album last weekend. My favorite song on there, um, Every Day. Every and day. I'm just Ooh. listening to the song on repeat. And I'm like, man. So I, I remember posting about Lucy Pearl. And I had to include Joy in one of the pictures because she was a She's part of the group. And yeah. people were like, who is that? Like, who is that? Mm. Like, which they didn't remember that she had ever been, that Dawn had ever been replaced. And, you know, it's because before they could go any further, Dawn was gone. Ali, Raphael, and Joy decided that they were just going to let it go. Saying all that, the first thing I want to say was that, um, yeah, Joy, I didn't realize that she replaced him until a couple of years ago because I, I know her from, like, of course, she had that song Lick, yep. that crazy sample. And then, um, and with uh, the crazy thing, too, is that Lucy Pearl is basically, I mean, Raphael and, and Dawn, both, both from Oakland because Tony, Tony, Tony and Vogue, mm -hmm. both Oakland. They got with Brooklyn with, um, or Queens, I should say. They're from Queens, I think. Yeah, so, uh, uh, Ali, Ali Shaheed. Yep. And... One thing is that last summer, I actually remember making the video mix of this, all the, the music from 2000, as far as R&B only. Mm -hmm. And 2000 was one of the last years we just got a huge variety of R&B. It was where we had the Carl Thomas, the music. Like we, we had that, that one podcast. We talked about how music, yeah. D'Angelo, everybody came out at once. But then you had the super commercial stuff. So you had Destiny's Child, you had the Maya. So it was where with all that, Lucy Pro still stood out. Like they Dance Tonight out. stood out in... It's funny that that whole era, we look at that as kind of like the grown folks R&B or like the auntie two-step R&B <laughs> with the, the KG type production. Yep. But but young folks loved it too because we were, we were probably middle school, high school. and Loved it. We still love listening to Dance Tonight. And and uh, one thing that you probably wouldn't even realize is that the, their biggest song on the West Coast is You. You is huge really? in LA. It's like, it's a classic where you, you hear 15-year-olds play it on their own. Wow. Like you is, because for one, it's Battle Cat on the beat, Snoop is on it. Uh -huh. So it's like it's one of those songs that the elbows go up and they start doing a little crip walk formation. Like 
You is huge. Don't skate rinks and everything. Nope. Do not. I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that that would be the song. But now that yeah. you say it, it makes you, sense. You you have to you have to see it here because I remember I played it at a, at an HBCU function. Uh-huh. My boy from Virginia who went to Hampton, he had never even heard it before, but he was just watching everybody vibe to it. And he was like, "Whoa, this this is amazing! This like, is what it. is this? Yeah, you, you have to almost catch it just to like see how everybody vibes to it. But that song is so classic here, and crazy enough, it didn't have Joy or um or Dawn on it. It was really it was really just Raphael with Q Tip, right. Snoop, and Battle Cat. Honestly, right? But, yeah, no, I yeah. mean I remember. Back in, I guess, 2001, maybe 2002, I remember having uh, La La um, on my Black mm. Planet page. Like, that was Black the song Planet, when yeah. you went to the Black Planet page. That's how I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. But, you know, a lot of young kids today, even still, like, when they hear Dance Tonight, because it yeah. doesn't sound like anything that we've really gotten before, like, up until that time. It doesn't, because it's, it's weird. It's where that whole era, like... Even though it was made to sound vintage, it doesn't sound like it really was from the seventies. It still sounded fresh. Exactly, it's, just, it's acoustic. That's the thing. It's, that's it. And, yeah. we were, and during yeah. that time, you know, we were not getting a lot of that to be um, mainstream, like as mainstream. Mainstream as and party was. To it. Yeah, you yeah. Could par- I mean, you could party to the whole CD, honestly. Yeah, yeah, for real. So salute Lucy Pearl. Like it's one of those things yeah. that they only had that one, that one album. That's all they needed. They came and gave us that, and I'm. <laughs> We still play this. It's, we st- it's, it's still, uh, hey, it's, it's still going. I mean, we're not going to get another one, so we, we got to appreciate what we do have. Yeah, seriously. So maybe if we lucky one day, Dawn will perform with them when? No, Dawn yeah, said she, think she, so. yeah. she's, oh, she already said it. She'll never work with Raphael again. Never again. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. I actually, um, I want to say it was a taping for, I don't know if it was the Vibe TV show, whatever TV show was short-lived in 2000. I went to a taping and they actually performed it there, all three of them. Oh wow! It was Ali, Dawn, and Raphael. It was it was definitely like I'm gonna say summer 2000. Yeah, I remember, I remember going to it. In. They were, yeah. I mean, it, they hit that summer, so it was one thing after the, after another. Like they were working, they were everywhere. Yeah, they were. So yeah, so everybody who hasn't heard that album in a while, you gotta go put that on real quick. So mm-hmm. so my my rewind for this episode is gonna be intro. Intro is an R&B group that came from those early 90s. Um, a lot of folks who, who know me know that I feel that 93 was the peak of R&B slow jams. I think 93 was just like the best year when it comes yeah. to, I mean, because even, even if you remove that one album from that one dude that we we don't mention, but we the, mention the every one episode. About, <laughs> it's the number after 11, that one. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Because, I mean... He preferred under 13. Anyway, anyway, so um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it's like, so 93 had so many slow jams. You had Knocking the Boots from H-Town. You had Silk Freak Me, which is 92, 93. You had Janet Anytime. You had um, you had Tevin Campbell, uh, Break It Down. You had all these slow jams, but that year intro came and made their intro, and they're one of those groups that kind of gets like forgotten because they... If you weren't really there in that moment, you're not really going to mention them that way. Mm-hmm. Even some folks who are younger know Silk and H-Town because Silk came back with the meeting in my bedroom. Yeah, bedroom. But mm-hmm. you don't really hear intro mentioned too much. But if you listen to their album, they had two. They had one in 93 and one in, I think, 95. But that 93 album was, it was fire. They was had, they, they mastered everything because they, it was that era where it was a little bit of an awkward phase for upbeat R&B. It was where New Jack Swing had had died out and it was where the hip-hop soul was there so if you weren't directly biting what 
what uh, Mary had or even what SWV Jade had. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, okay, which way do we go? But they had those those vibing mid-tempo songs. They had the love thing and the let me be the one. Those were just some some straight vibes. They came from Brooklyn, so they had that kind of New York swing it. to it. Yeah. yeah. When it came to those slow jams, they had that on deck. They had... I mean, we always talk about it. When it comes to Stevie, it's hard to make a remake a Stevie song and and make it as good as him or better. But not only was it so dope, Stevie was in the video. They had Stevie in the video for that "Ripping in the Sky," and <laughs> and I don't know if you have you ever heard the remix to that. Actually, I think you were the person that sent me a link to the remix one day. Probably, I, yeah. I remember it, but I didn't. I hadn't heard it in so long, and the original, well, their remake was just such a classic. That yeah. I never even like went back to play the remix to it. Yeah, it's crazy. That is is where the uh, the remix to it was on the vinyl. So I found the vinyl a couple years ago. I actually ordered it from like Japan or something, mm. and it's called "Ribbon in the Remix." So how are you gonna take a Stevie song and remake it, then remix it and make it even doper? Because yeah. if, if you just hear the production on it, they flipped a little bit more, and they have a cold breakdown on there. So. I feel like intro definitely deserves more more love. Uh, rest in peace to Kenny Green. Kenny Green was the lead singer from the group. He actually passed about 20 years ago in 2001. And, yeah. and he actually wrote like Love No Limit for Mary. Mary. He wrote Reminisce for Mary. He um, and It's it's one of those tragic stories. A lot of those groups from that time lost a member. H-Town yeah. lost Dino. Everybody was losing a member. Yeah, like High Five lost Tony Thompson. Yeah, because we like... What was special about Kenny, though, was I think he was just so insanely talented that if he had lived, I'm sure Intro would have done great things still. I think they would have released. But I can't even imagine what his career as a writer would have been like because he was at that time writing and producing like some of the hottest songs that are still like that still get played today. So the way that he could have grown had it not ended and the and where Intro would have went like. Around that 97, 98 period would have been interesting to see because, you know, that by then the sounds had they changed just a little bit. And a lot of groups were struggling to to uh, a lot of groups from the earlier 90s were struggling to put out quality material by like 98, 99. Yeah, that sound, that's, that's what I call the, the, the what what era. Right. Like, it, like they, I said before. Yeah, they couldn't like they it, it was yeah. either people that were so used to doing New Jack Swing and they had just crossed over to do hip hop soul. They were just getting comfortable there or people yeah. who never crossed over to hip hop soul and they were trying to make a comeback, you know, during the, what do you call it, the what, what period? What, what period, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it was like, nah, that don't sound good. That don't sound good. Yeah, a lot of them did struggle, but I wonder what happened because even though he didn't pass in 2001, they hadn't made anything as an album since 95, 96. So mm-hmm. I know he was working with other artists, but uh, even listening to Come Inside, they had the, the track Come Inside, which was a fire slow jam, and they had a One remix of the to that. The songs ever. It's long too. It is long, <laughs> and they had the remix, the Piano Man remix, and mm-hmm. they 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 had a lot of a lot of fire songs that I feel you just had to be there in that moment to really to to know it. But at the same time, it's so quality that whenever I play it for people who didn't know it, they, they're asking like, "Who is this?" or who "What is, is this?" Because it. Wow. It's not at all dated. Like it sounds great because musically it was it was on point. The chords were on point, and mm-hmm. it it just didn't it, it didn't sound like okay. It's it's stuck in that era. So yeah, and I think you know them being or them having Kenny and everything being done in house helped them because he yeah. was already his ears had evolved so much where he was releasing stuff then that sounded like it could be released now. So I'm just, I still just, what would have happened had he lived? I think him being sick is probably why they hadn't worked together 
since around 95 or 96. Like, I think he got real sick, so they couldn't. But it's yeah. crazy to think that, like you said, like you took a Stevie Wonder song. <laughs> you made it so hot that Stevie was <laughs> in the video. Stevie yeah. probably didn't know where the hell he was. Somebody <laughs> told him they was going to yeah. get ice cream and he never, he was probably, like, he never saw anything. <laughs> okay. So, you know, and then to remix that, to remix yeah. a remake yeah. of a Stevie Wonder Quiet Storm classic. And it's, it's a bold like, move. It's a it, bold move and it worked. Like, not a single person could say anything bad about it. No, no, yeah. not even the remake. Like, there are still people to this day that if you ask them, you know, which is better, Stevie's version or intro's version? I wouldn't even say it's generational because even some of the other people, not, some of the older people not. will be like, oh, you know, intro, they they did their thing. Even people who grew yeah. up with Stevie's version. So yeah. they're one of them groups that is timeless. Yeah, seriously. So salute to intro. And uh, from that, we got to flip it and, and, and take it to the uh, fast forward for this episode. So fast forward for everyone who's listening. We talk about an artist who is on the come up right now, who we feel has a lot of potential to make waves within the industry so eb who was your pick b for this week for your fast forward uh so young man out of la uh patrick page the second okay okay. it it might sound familiar to a couple of you is because he is actually the bassist in the internet so he's you know working with our future and um, sid and all them yeah you know he was you know steve lacy and he he's decided to to finally step out and go solo back in 2018, he released um, Letters of Irrelevance um, as his debut album. And I remember hearing Voodoo and almost thinking, oh, is this, is this like a D'Angelo outtake? Like, what is this? Because it sounded so similar, like it could have been um, something on um, D'Angelo and the Vanguard's last album. So yeah. I figured out who it was and I was like, I honestly did not know that he could sing. And even he says that he didn't realize that he could sing or was a good singer. His mom actually um, persuaded him to start using his voice more. So that pushed him to want to do the solo album. But he does not only sing, he also raps. Um, He just released a new single today. Yeah, today with uh, Westside McFly. And it's called big plays is all hip-hop and it's 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 great and he loves rapping that's actually um he says he was discovered while rapping that's what actually got him into the internet but i just think he's a you know he's a triple threat at this point you know he's rapping he's singing and he's also playing the bass like that's yeah that's not something that you hear everybody doing so i'm interested in seeing how he's gonna um marry those in the future um the first album it it was a nice mix of hip-hop and r&b but it was more R&B. This time with him going with this first single, I feel like we might get a hip hop album from him. And I'm excited to see like what he does. I actually like his flow. I, I, I think it's um, I think it's a fun flow. I, I think he represents like youthfulness in music and like we need that sometimes. So Patrick Page the second is my fast forward because I do think yeah. that, you know, everybody that comes out of the Odd Future Camp honestly is. They're Crazy so talented, talented in different like ways too. Yeah, it's, they they are yeah. this new collective of of like these super artists with this knowledge, and they do everything. It's like a renaissance over there. Like I'm trying to figure out what what do y'all have in the LA water? Like what's going on? 
I don't know where it came from because I mean it's is where our future when they first first dropped. Of course, like a lot of folks that saw them as some weirdos, as yep. like some young kind of hipsterish. Even you know how how we talk like that's that's the white folks type of hip hop. But the more and more yep. that they made, and the more you heard them branch out. It's like no, they actually have talent, and they all came out being so young too. They, they were, were all in their so teens. Young. Yep. So yep. they're all like mid late twenties at the most now. They're still all pretty young. So. Mm-hmm. So, uh, have you seen the video for uh, "Whisper of Want My Love"? The uh, Patrick yes. Page—they're on the airplane, and yes. they got Duran Bernard in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, like I think everything yeah. he does is great. The because um, that's the song with Duran. Duran, yeah. And Steve—is Steve on that one? Steve is on there too. Steve yeah. Lacey's on there. Yeah. Yeah, and it when I first heard it, I honestly was like, "What is this? Like, this <laughs> sounds like something yeah. that should have been released at least a decade ago, but in the best way possible." Like. Yeah. This is some real stuff, and you know you got to see everybody's individuality on there. It's my favorite thing because it's you can true. tell true. it wasn't a song that somebody wrote for them. It was like here, sing it. Mm. It was like all right, this is that's real. Everybody's part is so much different. Like yeah, when Duran come in, he he's he's himself. Like Duran is his yeah. is, is himself. He is first yeah. of all, he's a comedian. He and, is literally literally, and like <laughs> I mean, with a voice like that. I love that he like always switching it up and always giving you something fresh. It's mm-hmm. never stale. And I'm glad I'm actually really, really glad that Patrick worked with him because it, yeah. it opened my eyes to like his potential. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, you working with Duran. Okay, you might be official. Like this is yeah. this is some real stuff. So yeah, we'll definitely. see where Patrick goes. I mean, I'm sure he's gonna do great things, you know. Odd Future Camp does not disappoint. They don't at all. They all they always come with it. They always have their own style and it's dope how they can get together and make it cohesive, but they can always branch out. Branch out. When Sid branched out her album, you could tell mm-hmm. she was from the Internet Collective, but it still had its own sound to it. So the still same thing I'm own. looking yep. for with, with Patrick. So, yes, salute to Patrick. I'm definitely trying to see what he has coming up. Uh, my pick my pick from this this week, uh, not quite L.A., but from the IE, about an hour, hour and a half out, two hours in traffic, you know, is uh, Miss Candace Boyd. So okay. Candace Boyd, I'm trying to think of where I first, first saw her. It might have been on the Terrell show. If it wasn't with Terrell, it was something online, but then she was on The Four. The Four is one of those, um, mm-hmm. I think it was on NBC, one of those competitions. She was the runner-up on there, but she smoked every song on there. And Candace is one of those who, I guess if you want to compare it to all the American Idol types from the Jennifer Hudson's and the Fantasia's, She's similar in that she has that great voice. Whenever she remakes, whatever she remakes, it's always going to be, even if it's not better in that sense, you're always going to enjoy it because she puts her own thing to it. She's never going to try to imitate somebody else. So she's saying X Factor. She's saying I'm going down. She's saying Keisha Cole Love. And each time it's like she's putting her own twist to it where even Mary's biggest fan is not going to be mad and be like, who is this messing up Mary and Rose Royce's song? Like, Keisha Cole, as much as whether or not you think Keisha's a great, great singer, she she owns love because of her passion and her and her style. But when you hear Candace sing it, she's adding her own little runs and inflections to it. And it's mm-hmm. like you get hooked, like, who is this? Who is this? She has such a kind of a sweet voice. It's not where it's a rough, raspy, it's not it doesn't have as much um deep emotion as the Marys and the Keisha's, but it's similar to Tamia to me, where Tamia has kind of like a Kind of a, a middle of the path. Like, like it's it's still an edge to it, but it's it's mm-hmm. like it's sweet enough to where she can sing a, a kind of a vibey song too. So it's right. like she can hop on a vibey song and she won't overpower it. So right. I was just hooked from there. And then you watch her on Terrell. She's the type that I love when Terrell has that freestyle segment. He just throws a word at you, and 
And whatever whatever word he throws, you have to sing a song with that. And you can tell she's straight from the church too. Like like everything she sings, she has those church runs on it. But she still has that that hood edge too. So she's gonna she'll sing it and she'll she'll say some little hood girl ratchet stuff too. But it she can always bring it back, right back into church. Like she's a type who probably quote something from eyes on the sparrow and say, but, but don't you, I don't you be eyeing the other chick or, or I'm gonna cut you. Like she's going to bring them both together at the same time and you, and you respect it. So, so that's, that's what got, got me connected with her. And then I was actually DJing something about a year and a half ago before pandemic uh, took us away from the nightlife. And, and some girls just came up to me at the end was like, uh, can you put, put on the song from Candace Boyd called a uh, damn good time. And I'm like, all right, and then it's dark. I can't see her face, and she just took the mic from me. I'm like, all right, and I, I start playing it, and then she starts singing. I'm like, that's Candice. What what is she doing here? Oh, wow. and how she is take my mic, and she's just singing wow. her own song, and then I'm like, all right, and then she just starts. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna throw some songs on. So I put on some other songs for her. I put on a whatever it was. It could have been some. Um, it could have been a invoke song, whatever it was. She's just singing everything right there. She didn't mm. even stretch. She she didn't even stretch. She, she didn't, didn't even stretch. warm up. She is <laughs> she is hopped on the mic and just started killing everything. So yeah. So must love the Candice. So so I think um, she doesn't have any projects yet. So I feel like whatever project she's working on right now, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I feel that she's the type that can. A lot of her singles right now are more on the. You can tell is is going toward the radio sound. Mm-hmm. I want her. I want her to do her. I, I don't want it to be a case of she's trying to get on radio or she's trying to make club or party anthems. I want her to get in there and whatever she feels, I want that to be her her lane. I mean, because she came from the four and it was um, a music competition, the first person that comes to mind for me is Jennifer Hudson. I remember when they yeah. were first releasing her music, it just it really sounded like I'm trying to get on. Like, but I've heard you do yeah. other things. Like I want exactly. I want you to do what you want to, but I understand they gotta do a certain um a certain a certain sound, a certain amount of um radio things just to get put on so hopefully once she gets there and people know who she is then she'll just be free to do her because her I'm voice is great yeah. yeah no seriously i think i can say that the shift in r&b the last year or two i think that's going to be a great thing for her because you do hear a lot more of the Ari Linux types and chloe and hallie who mm-hmm. they're not just making the the, the formulaic radio hits it's like mm-hmm. they're making soulful music and they're making music that they can perform too because a lot of times you hear you. when they make these radio songs they they perform it they can't really show their range so nope. it's like i'm looking forward to her just just putting out some actual soulful some stuff that we could play in 20 years and still still enjoy it the same way so i, I need i need some stranger in my house type tracks where it's just <laughs> you know you know so throw it on and we all be like oh I remember back in 2021 and it's exactly. like yeah i want that yeah that's, that's what i'm looking for so Yes, salute to Patrick and Candice. So everybody who is listening, we do have the Behind the Wheels um, playlist, actually. So if you look into the notes of the podcast, we have the link for that Spotify playlist. We're going to have some Lucy Pearl, some intro, Patrick Page, some Candice Boy. We might even throw some Carrie on there. We might we take might, it back to 09. Not, not that remix, though. Not that <laughs> Not the song. remix. We're we not going to do that. Not that Can't one. Can't do but it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cannot do that one. So... At this time, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in a few seconds for y'all. So um, when we get back, we're going to be talking about um, the loss that we experienced uh, recently, the most recent loss that's been affecting all of us, of course. And Mm -hmm. we're going to have a beat match between two legends. We're going to make some people mad. We're going to have some people hitting us up on social media, mad that we didn't take whoever (laughs) side we didn't take. But, you know, we got to do it. I mean, why not? Why not? So... 
Uh, I hope y'all are enjoying it. I'm going to go ahead and get something to drink real quick, and we're going to be right back. Let's do it. from the break once again this is behind the wheels i am dj artistic and we have my co-host right here with me eb so in the building was good so at this time um it's time for the drop the drop we always just talk about uh whatever the hot topic is or a major topic or just something that that we have on our hearts and minds and yeah the only way to do it this episode is to salute mr earl simmons rest in peace to dmx we lost him a couple of days ago. Um, depending on when you're listening, we lost him early, early April 2021, of course. And mm-hmm. it was a case of we got the news initially, I think, on a Saturday morning. And we just heard that he was uh, his his brain was not responding, mm-hmm. uh, most likely due to overdose. And about five days later, we heard the official announcement. We had speculation throughout the week about we heard that he might not be with us. or so they're giving them tests at one point. Of course, because social media is so obnoxious, you saw pictures of him awake holding up the peace sign, but those were old pictures. Old pictures, right, right. You know how it is with social media, but um, all that to say, we did lose a great one, and DMX has one of those legacies that is one of the most unique legacies, not just in hip-hop, but in in music, period, I feel yeah. like, but, but especially in hip-hop. Uh, the thing with DMX... Similar to how a lot of the East Coast rappers were back in the 90s, especially like Jay-Z. If you were in New York, if you were in a certain scene, you probably heard of him six years before he had his first hit. So with Jay-Z, of course, he had the Hawaiian Sophie with Jazzo in 89, but he didn't really blow up till 96. Mm-hmm. With DMX, he was uh, mentioned in the source back in 92. Uh, most of us didn't really hear of him on a mainstream level in t- until 97 when he had the uh, 4321 with... Uh, with LL Cool J and Red and Meth. And mm-hmm. in 98, that's when he came out officially. And he he took that year by storm. It's crazy that I think I was reading either Dragonfly Jones or someone on Twitter was saying that 98 was one of the biggest years in hip-hop history, especially because hip-hop had reached that commercial point where that year you had Outkast, Equimini, you had Lauryn Hill, Miseducation, you had Jay-Z with Volume 2, you had... Most definitely, Talib Kweli. You had huh, No Limit was just raining. You no had Limit ju- was everywhere. Juvenile, 400 Degrees. Mm-hmm. You had all these legendary artists and albums. Big Pun, Capital Punishment. You had Red Man, Doc's the name. But with all these artists and all these albums and singles that we had, DMX was the MVP. And he came out the gate as a basically as a rookie, even though he had been around for a while. He dropped two number one albums in one year, which is completely unheard of to debut both albums with number one. And then he eventually won that Billboard Award for having like four consecutive number one albums or number one debuts. And it's it was insane how big he was in that pocket. And it's really a case of you had to be there. I saw people on social media talking. Um, some of the kids, you know, like... I don't like disrespecting people based on their age because I, I know some young folks who know music for sure. Right, right. I know young folks who are 18, 16 who know music better than people who are 40. But yep. on the flip side, we have those who they weren't there, so they don't get it. And 
you saw some disrespectful comments about where all this love come for DMX and DMX is he really a legend? And it's like I saw one kid who said that, but he was born in '98, and it's like if you were born in '98, how would you even? How, you you just weren't even, there. You don't yeah. remember his reign. You don't remember how big it. Like the episode one of this show, we opened with the question about 24 Hours to Live, the May song yeah. that DMX was featured on. And, and if, 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 yeah, yeah, like if you were not there, you don't remember how huge he was even before his debut. Like you said, yeah. he was already on the LL song. So we we knew who he was. And especially after 97, I think Mace dropped Harlem World in 97. Yeah. So yeah. at that time, Mace was the biggest day. It, it was Mace was, it was all the Mace. pretty That's boy true. in hip hop. You know, we thought it was going somewhere else. And then by the next year, when DMX dropped, it was like, oh, this is a problem because not only was he like for a rapper, he is one of the most passionate rappers that I've ever heard in my life yeah. and expressive, but also like as a human, DMX just seemed like the person you wanted to be around. Like yeah. he had strong ties to his faith. Like they were so strong. Like he, I remember the first album and I saw people post this on Twitter and I laughed because I was like, Oh, I wasn't the only one with that experience. People having to trick their parents to get that album <laughs> and say, well, there's a prayer on there. You know, he's praying. <laughs> oh, wow. And I wow. Saw, when I he saw was, that, I was yeah. like, I wasn't alone. Like I remember lying wow. about that and, and getting wow. the album and it's like, Oh no, people, people, the older people at the time, if you heard anything other than the prayer, you might have been like, nah, you going to hell. Everybody you heard Damien. Yeah, yeah, you, you heard Damien's a little but different. Yeah. If you put that older prayer on for your grandma, she's going she gonna to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> hip-hop's finally coming around. I knew it would take some <laughs> yeah. time, but they finally yeah. get it right. But that's just how strong his ties and his faith yeah. were. And he never, like, that was something that he displayed prominently throughout his entire career. Like, he never, yeah. shot, I mean, he made that whole Angel movie. You know, he was true. very deep into his religion and what it would do for him. But yeah, I mean, as an artist, DMX was like hit after hit after hit. Like everything it, he it did not touch. <laughs> I remember when he was on the um the Money Power Respect remix and yeah. I already loved the song and then you got him on there and to close out. I mean, to to close out, to close it out, like that's a big deal. Like he, he was a big thing. He was I would I would venture to say Maybe the younger kids would understand that he was as huge as Drake was when yeah, he was yeah. first debuting. And it's like, oh, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. That's how big DMX was. Unfortunately, his demons did not let him, you know, gain um, what I would consider this superstardom. But he was like, he was a big deal to everybody. Like you, after he died, you saw all the celebrities talking about the person he was. Like people that you didn't yeah. even realize that DMX knew or people that he had worked with. And then you saw all these random videos of him. There's so many random like, stories and videos of DMX just popping up at. Popping up at yeah. people's <laughs> weddings and by mitzvahs. And he was in the Blink-182 video that I do not remember at all. Like, Same, I, I saw that video on, on the uh, on the little bike or the, the little. Yeah, uh, it was on it was the a bike. Power Wheels or something. Like, how you on the Power Wheels for I adults? do not like, remember that. And yeah. I was there. So I'm like, oh yeah, he yeah. really was everywhere. Like, he was so many places yeah. that we couldn't even keep up. It's true, like. Uh, like you said, it was where he he was so big at that time. And if you look back, it's because he had so many bases covered. Because I can say that last summer, I was happy that, that Versus basically was our way of giving him his flowers before he passed. So yeah. it's almost strange watching it, but it almost feels like looking back now, 
it was almost like a public funeral in a weird, weird way. Cause it was our last time collectively watching him as he was alive and like joyful and, and we were able to celebrate him. But with mm-hmm. that, I remember, um, of course, everybody knows I'm team Snoop. Like I love DMX. Obviously he was my favorite rapper in 98, but Snoop was my favorite of all time. But regardless, I remember having the debates after the, the whole verses and me and my friends were debating about just like what song, you know, who won this and me and my East coast folks clashing. Of course we are. <laughs> and one, one round, whatever round it was would get out, get at me dog. They're, they're telling me there was like, get at me dog was basically the same way you, you were explaining how big he was in 94. They were saying that just as you uh, just described with Mace 97 was all jiggy. It was where it was the whole yep. bad boy. It was Harlem. It was, Harlem World, it was uh, Diddy, it was Mace, and there was just a real flashy time. Even mm-hmm. how you had a Rampage, who was part of Buster Rhymes' crew, came out with a, a jiggy track. And even yep. even Brand Newbie and Don't Let It Go To Your Head was a, a uplifting track, but it had the jiggy little bells on it. So right. everybody had to be jiggy in that moment. But Get At Me Dog came, he's at the tunnel performing, it's black and white. It's about robbing people. It's about, is this the most <laughs> gutter, grimy East Coast that you could get at that moment? Mm-hmm. And he came back and just like, the East Coast was was back once again in a whole different form when he dropped that. So I didn't realize that it had that much impact for the East. Because I, the thing is, I actually bought that single. I remember buying the mm. single because it had uh, Stop Being Greedy on it. I remember that that was like the, the B-side to it. And yep. then when you talk about, it's funny that you talk about people buying the album and playing the uh, the gospel or the, 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 the religious the song, prayer yeah. the prayer. Because I remember that that whole night, like, it's one of those things that even though it was 23 years ago, I remember that exact day and night. It was a Saturday. It was, I think that was May. I'm eighth grade, about to graduate from eighth grade in a couple of weeks. My mom is like, let's let's go to uh, to Walmart, which is 45 minutes away back then. They only had one in, in L.A. County. We drive all the way out to Cerritos. Walmart had the clean CDs, and they had the, the CD, the DMX clean, and they, they wouldn't let me buy like explicit albums in front of them at least. So right. the DMX there didn't have an explicit symbol. So even though it looks demonic on the front, it's clean, so I'm like, hey, mom, can I buy this? She's like, yeah, whatever it is. So we buy it, and then I put it on on the way home, and because it's clean, I can get mm-hmm. away with it. But it was my first time hearing the whole thing. It was my first time hearing the Rough Riders anthem. It's the second song on there, and just the intro. Hearing the intro, just how dramatic it was when it comes in, and that whole album still sounds so fire to me. So DMX, he, he, yeah. he made, because like, like we just said, um, you know, it was real flashy, and... 97 you know everybody had gotten to a point um where it was like jiggy music by 98 by the time that he came then he actually put like hardcore rappers back like in commercial lanes commercially yeah yeah, it was like all right no like nobody was paying attention you know to some of the people by by 97 because they weren't you know jiggy and every they weren't wearing the shiny suits and yeah. you know you know they weren't connected with you know this weird glamour that we were doing <laughs> during that time but yeah. dmx was literally just like this is me um he never shied away from talking about anything or talking yeah. to anyone he was just always like x and yeah. we knew that we were getting the real like something different than we had it was like though this is the real deal but I, I still credit him with making it cool to be like a hardcore rapper again in a in a yeah. commercial space because he was so good that like they couldn't deny like oh we got to play this like this is something we got to put on it made it everywhere and it's crazy too because whenever i listen to him now he was dope just like you said drake he he was able to make any type of record even though he it was where he didn't have to do jiggy but he had all those songs for the ladies he had the how's it going down he had the back in mm. one piece 
He yeah. had that classic with Cisco where he had a whole verse naming he named every he named my grandma. Every... He named everybody in that verse. Like and and, and yeah. we all know it. Like when that part comes on, there, yeah. I mean there have been so many skits of people like putting on different wigs. I think there was yeah, a whole it's, challenge. There's a, a whole viral challenge. Yeah. yeah it that was. People were doing that. You know, it was like yeah. that was his impact. And I saw the same people saying that no, we didn't really like him before then, or nobody talked about him before then. But I'm like, DMX Cat, has never stopped Cat. receiving love. I think one of the people Not that people love about him the most was that we all knew that he was public, uh, like publicly saying that I'm struggling, but yeah, I'm, I'm facing my demons. And everybody was like rooting for DMX. Like, and everybody every time, yeah. like DMX would come back harder, and and like it didn't matter, like what camp you was from, you still wanted DMX to make it just because just yeah, because you knew his it's story. Real. It's real, everybody. Everybody was rooting for him, even on the. It's it's wild watching the drink the drink champs. It's hard to watch it, but it's it's yep. enjoyable, but, but it's hard. But even on there, how Nori told him, everybody is rooting for him. Like yeah. Everybody who from every side, from every generation, was just hoping that he could he could make it out. And to me, it's where I wasn't expecting him to make a number another number one album, and I didn't care if he did. He didn't have to. He gave us what he did. He had that strong, strong, strong five, six year run, and in mm-hmm. hip hop, that's an eternity. If you make it past a good two, three year run, that's to me, you're, you're a certified legend. If you have that's that much sustained success, because it's, yeah. and it's it hard to even period. have. Like yeah. that that run started in '98 and it went through yeah. the 2000s. So yeah, music was changing so much by then. Like every time something was released, it was something different. So for him to be able to mm-hmm. keep up with that and give us like you know, number one after number one, like debuting at number one, just like back to back yeah. to back five times. Like for, yeah. for you to do that during that time, that means you were something special. And I don't care what nobody say. DMX is still like, people don't really, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody put them or put him in their top five, but yeah. Top five. He, I, I don't really hear people mention them top five, but yeah, top 20s. Top 20s. Yeah. Then, for sure. Yeah, you'll get DMX. And like, that's something you can't take away. Like his legacy mm-hmm. is, Part of that is outside of his addiction and his struggles and his faith. It's that no, he was a really great musician. Like as a rapper, yeah. like he delivered like again and again while going through all this. So just yeah. imagine like if he had not had to struggle with any of this, like what would have happened? But this is while going through this. Like DMX was delivering. He was giving like radio hits every year, all the time, and in different different types of lanes. He had the songs that. Even even before he passed, I did a corporate event and I put on Party Up. And it's one of those songs that, whether it's your grandma and auntie, whether it's a white corporate crowd, if you put on Up In Here and then One, Two, Meet Me Outside, that that track is just such such a classic, catchy track. And I also credit DMX. It sounds, it sounds wild to a lot of people, but I, I actually mentioned it on Twitch that he somewhat got me into reggae and dancehall because... I didn't grow up as a dance hall fan that much. I remember when Shy Guy, Diana King was big mm-hmm. in 95 from Bad Boy soundtrack. But like growing up in L.A., we don't have a strong Caribbean presence unless, you know, we have a lot of Belizeans here. And that makes sense. we have, you know, but you hear it like you hear it once you get to high school at the parties. But before right. you're in high school parties, you don't really hear dance hall uh, reggae that much because um, it's not on the radio in uh-huh. L.A. So it's where... I was just never a big fan. I, I watched Caribbean Rhythms because Rachel was on there, but <laughs> I was never a huge fan of reggae, but I remember getting the Belly soundtrack. And uh, to, to go along with that, 98, 99 is when I had enough money to buy my own CDs. So mm-hmm. everything I bought was either No Limit or something that DMX was on. That's Rough Riders Volume 1. That's DJ Clue the Professional. That's Big Cap and Flex the Tunnel. So I'm buying these albums just because of DMX. So I bought Belly soundtrack. 
And I bought that, and I saw he had a song called Top Shotter. I'm like, who are these dudes? Sean, Paul, Mr. Vegas, never heard of them. Okay. Oh, wow. I put that song on, and I'm I'm like, I don't care for reggae, but this song is fire. Song. What is this? <laughs> and from there, that's what got me into like reggae and dancehall, because he he wrote that so cold, just the, the chorus, here comes the boom. I'm like, this is a this is a vibe right here. So I mean, yeah, DMX, like first like his voice alone. It, it just sounds like it's made for a reggae track to me. Like it's just like, oh no, you you yeah. was probably born like eating like oxtail or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> it was like, oh, this is this is your destiny right now. Like, but yeah. he did everything. I mean, even his acting. Like DMX was doing. Like, he was an movies. actor too. Yeah. Like yeah. he was doing like major movies and working with people. That's how he and Aaliyah worked together. I mean, yeah. you know, now that they're both gone, which is crazy. But mm, it, yeah. it was it was one of those things where he was so huge that. He put an entire label on the map. Like he did. He a whole like, culture, the motorcycle whole, culture and everything. Listen, yeah. We just right. talked Bikes. about Swiss Beats last week. We did. This that's is wild too. we wouldn't know Swiss Beats if it wasn't for DMX, which is the thing. It's like that's when we met Swiss Beats. Like that DMX hmm. was that type that like he worked with people and it opened doors for them. Plain Facts. and simple. Facts with that. Salute to DMX. Rest in peace, DMX and we will not forget your legacy. We will uphold Never. you, and we will. I'm gonna keep playing your music forever. I was playing it before you left us, so yep. we'll play it the same way from here on out. So, salute, rest in peace, DMX. Now, at this time, um, it's time to get into that beat match. It's time to, to uh, you know, to ruffle some feathers, to to pick some sides, <laughs> to you know. So as we said at the last at the last uh, beat match, it's hard for me and EB to even figure out artists to beat match because. We agree so much, but I found another one that we don't agree on. And I think, I don't know. I think it's going to be, you know, we're going to get into it. That's all we're I'm saying. We're going to get into it. So I asked him, I said, if we had a beat match between Prince and Stevie Wonder based on everything that they've written, produced, their solo work, whatever it is, who do you pick? And EB, let them know what you said and the words you said it, however you said it. Okay, so I'm, let me let me just say because I because I know Prince, the Purple fans, I know y'all y'all serious. Oh, you know. I love Prince, <laughs> but when it comes to Prince and Stevie, I just feel that as great as Prince is, I'm gonna keep calling him great because I don't want no trouble from nobody or no smoke. Yeah. As great yeah. as he is, he just isn't Stevie. Like Stevie's legacy, like Stevie's history like stevie's been in the business for a long time and he has influenced and created lots of careers um so i, I have to go with Stevie. i'm not mad at all i mean honestly everybody knows that i, I ride for both hard i mean i, I yeah. dj stevie's actual birthday party and right. then on the flip side i i did prince's memorial that stevie hosted so it's like is where as far as me i can i can go either way I, I i respect and love stevie obviously i have a a painting in my house that before prince even uh passed i, I asked the artist i said put stevie and prince right next to james marvin and mike so that's just like my favorite top five top five all time so stevie obviously yeah like y'all know i love stevie but as far as me if i had to just pick one i'm I'm, I'm with the perp. I'm with that perp. I don't drink the perp, but I roll with the perp. I don't smoke perp, but it, when it comes to that color I'm repping, you know it. So, you know, as my co-host, I'm going to let you go first. For everybody who's listening, the way Beat Mads works is that each of us get two minutes to um, to basically explain our side. We get three minutes, actually. Each of us get three minutes to explain our case on 
who would come out on top in the battle. So, you know, I'll let EB go first. And then once we finish with that, we have some rebuttals. And then our producers, Melissa and the lady, they actually are the ones who judge and and say who they feel uh, won the beat match between me and EB. So, yeah, EB, go ahead and uh, get into it. Get into it. Yeah, so as I stated before, you know, Stevie Wonder was 11 years old. Um, 11. 11 years old whenever he had his start in music, and that was with Motown. And by, back then, he was just known as Little Stevie Wonder. Like, he was already a child prodigy, and now, you know, you about to be the biggest thing in music. Um, he put Motown, he, he actually exposed them to a lot because... Before then, they had had, you know, the Supremes and the Vandellas and the Temps. You know, it was it was all older groups. Stevie was the first of their teenage or child groups at that time, I guess, 11 years old, to really hit it big and opening doors for them to work with people like the Jackson Five and Michael Jackson. And then if you were to follow Stevie's career through the 60s, you know, the sound was very upbeat, very happy. You know, we had the um, uptight, everything's all right. And, you know, if, you know, he was he was still a kid by the 70s. That's when we really got Stevie Wonder and we saw who he was as an artist because that's when he started his legendary run of albums, starting with Music of My Mind in 72. And Stevie became the soundtrack to an entire decade like he was the soundtrack to the 70s i can name so many huge huge legendary songs just from that decade um superstition and living for the city and you know sir duke not only that his activism and the way he connects that as an artist is what i think gives him the edge. I know Prince does a lot behind the scenes and he was working for with, you know, trying to create some sort of um, something for artists in their record contract so that people did not get taken. But Stevie was connected to the community like he wrote the happy birthday song, like the happy birthday song. <laughs> every black ass child knows and sings still today, no matter how old they are now. Like he created that specifically for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to make it a holiday, like to make his day a holiday. Like that's how active and involved with the community that Stevie was and the artists that he's worked with. I mean, if you listen to even a song like All I Do, you know, you got the OJs, Michael Jackson and Betty Wright singing background on one of your like. At the time, these are all established artists. These people are just walking into a studio and singing backgrounds. And I mean, if I take if I talk about all I do, I got to talk about as because as is one of the most beautiful love songs ever written. Like nobody writes lyrics the way that Stevie writes lyrics. Like it's almost like they come to life. I agree. I agree. I, I rock with that. Stevie definitely came in the gate 11 years old and helped put Motown on the map. I, I definitely, I definitely can rock with that. The thing with Prince, how do I even start about Prince? So we all know, yeah, it's so much to say about A Prince. How, let me hop into it. So late seventies, Prince first came in there. He had he came in the gate. His first, the first bar on his first single, I ain't got no money. That ain't the way he ended his career. He ended his career with all the money in the world, all the success, the accolades. And Prince to me is one of the most brilliant musicians. He might be the most brilliant musically. 
I give Stevie the edge as a songwriter, but when it comes to just being an actual producer, musician, I don't think anybody is touching what Prince is. When it comes to, he can play, not, not only can he play 22 different instruments, he could play them proficiently and like was amazing at them. It wasn't just like, oh, he'll play a guitar just for a quick little melody. He was a top 20 guitarist, maybe top 10 guitarist in history. When it came to even vocally, he had so many different styles he had three different ranges that he could sing in. He can sing, sing in a very low octave like he did on, on um, Erotic City and those, in a, on a, you know, all of my, you know, super yep. low. But then on, on the flip side, he going to hit you with the baby, you know, on the high-pitched falsettos on the adore and on the kiss, the falsetto, the entire song, and everything in between that, Prince could do that. Prince, when it came to music, like Stevie was amazing with soul. Prince was giving you, he could give you top-tier soul, pop, rock and roll funk whoever he wanted to be at the time he'll he'll take james brown's guitars and put it on some some futuristic 80s 80s drums and he became a sound for the 80s not just for r&b or soul but for even pop music he produced so much different music that people don't even realize he did stuff like you, you look at manic monday if you hear that song you hear that song going to going to cvs from the bangles or you hear something from sinead o'connor uh, nothing compares to you from that all the way to Shaka Khan, I feel for you. He wrote that song, of course. And then he gave you the glamorous light type songs from Sheila E. All the way into the 90s, he's giving you songs like Tevin Campbell, Break It Down. Like, he had so much range that he could give you. And when it came to just his camp alone, the artist that he, he basically created a sound and style for, like, the time was like his almost experimental group. He said, I'm going to make the pop hits to get big for myself. I'm going to make When Doves Cry for myself. I'm going to do... I'm going to do, um, you know, Purple Rain for myself and Let's Go Crazy for myself, 1999 for myself. But let me be black with them. Let me give the time, the jungle love. Let me give them the uh, the get it up. Let me give them the, you know, the 777-9311, which had the craziest hi-hat pattern I've ever heard even to this day. And then from there, they had the offshoots. I mean, if it wasn't for Prince, you don't get Jimmy Jam and Terry. You don't get Alexander O'Neill. You don't get Vanity Six and Apollonia. He created these different girls groups that... Each had their own separate sounds, but still had classic party music. And to me, I feel like one thing I've heard is that Stevie, I've heard the kind of joke that like when it comes to weddings that Stevie made the, uh, actually, you know, I'm cut off right now. All right, I'm, 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 I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish in a second, but I'm going right. to hand it back to you. Yeah. All right. Um, that's fair. You went to the 80s because the 80s were actually very, very great for Stevie Wonder. Um, I already mentioned the Happy Birthday song, but that was from the Hotter Than July album where he had Master Blaster. And then you had Twinkie Clark, a young college HU, Howard in the building, Twinkie Clark hearing this song and being like, you know what, I'm going to flip that and make it a gospel classic and put the Clark sisters on the map. Um, he had Do I Do with Dizzy Gillespie. Like he was bringing this artist from the past, wanted somebody who's been influential to him and introducing him to an entire new generation. Then he had Ebony Ebony and Ivory with Paul McCartney. And if you want to talk about like Prince and his instruments, Stevie Wonder made the damn harmonica like a popular instrument. Like he was playing, he was getting guest spots just to play harmonica on people's songs, several of them. Like they didn't want him to sing. They didn't ask him to do anything else but play harmonica that's that's kind of amazing because before then we did not associate the harmonica with 
with R&B. Like it was associated with the blues, but it had not been an instrument that people were using up until that point. I mean, Ribbon in the Sky, we talked about how big that was. We talked about people, uh, you said he, like people, the collaborations that he had and the careers that he's influenced. Like Stevie was 11, 12, 13, writing for Smokey Robinson and influencing the sound of an entire gener like the Motown sound. Then as he got older, he's writing with or writing for Dionne Warwick, like in the second or third phase of her career. You know, he's working with Sarita. You know, he has Wonder Love. He like with Denise Williams and he's giving us music, soul music on a different level that we hadn't got it. He gave us Let's Get Serious. Jermaine Jackson, like you made Jermaine, Jermaine Jackson. you know, you made Jermaine sound oh, good, then oh, you God. deserve to be one of the greatest of all time. And Stevie is just that, like he, to, even today, like he's just a wonder, like he, he's Stevie. He is, he is. I mean, once again, I, I definitely rock with him. I just think, my thing is that Prince just had so much more of a range and just, he could hit you in so many different ways. So mm -hmm. as I was saying uh, before uh, my time was up, so. It's a joke that people say when it comes to weddings. They say Stevie uh, Stevie made songs for the ceremony. They say uh, Mike made songs for the reception that you party to, and that Prince makes songs for the honeymoon. I've heard this before, and I feel like Prince makes songs for all three. I feel like Stevie probably Stevie does have the advantage for the actual ceremony. I give him that, but Prince still had the he still has some songs for that. He'll he'll give you something like I mean. Adore, at least the first verse of Adore. You might not go second verse, but at least that first verse of Adore, he gave you diamonds and pearls. I mean, that's for that, yeah. Then, I mean, if you want to say cocktail reception, he'll give you some two-steppers for the cocktail reception. The, even his newer stuff like Thousand X's and O's can give you for that. But when it comes to the reception, when it comes to party music, I would say for an overall pop crowd, yeah, Mike has the most. But if, you give it, if you're giving me a 35, I would say 45 and up black crowd, I'm going I'm to go Prince all day. He had, he owns that crowd, a 45 to like 60-year-old black crowd. If you go Kiss, Housequake, DMSR, if you go um, Sexy Dancer, if you go, um, if you count the time songs too, I'm counting the time, the Get It Up, I'm counting those types of songs. I'm counting the Nasty Girl, Vandy, Vandy Six. He'll give you that. Then the Honeymoon, he definitely runs that lane. When, he comes, when it comes to straight slow jams, like the sexual slow jams, nobody's touching Prince. I mean, and Prince still shows a strong influence to this day. I mean, if you're talking about the songs like the Call My Name, those slow jams and the, the break it down he, he did for, for I mean, for uh, Tevin or even his own, his own remake. I feel like Prince owns that slow jam type of lane. And he, I feel like when it comes to those years, Stevie started in the 60s, peaked 70s, and then still made stuff good in the 80s. But Prince... Prince started 70s, but up to his death, he was still making great albums and songs, even his last couple years alive, I would say that. Okay. Um, I remember my first my first vivid memory of Stevie Wonder is still, surprisingly, not at home, but is at school in a music class and having to sing Sir Duke and <laughs> learning that song um, because he'd written this song that that was talking about music and the artists from the past that sometimes were forgotten. And I knew he was the one then. And then when you get to his slow jams, his slow jams are, they're for the honeymoon, but they're when you actually love the person you're with. <laughs> oh, wow. So he's given us like, wow, my Sharia Moore. He's given us knocks that's, me off my feet. That's the ceremony. That's the ceremony. Uh, well, hey, listen, <laughs> for once in my life, overjoyed. Like he has given us, and I already talked about ads, like he's given us like these timeless love songs that speak about love in terms that are not always physical. Sometimes, you know, the love 
isn't just based on the physicality of it. And then he turned around and he did the New Jack. Um, I'm sorry, he did the uh, the soundtrack for the Spike Lee. Oh, for uh, oh Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever. He did the Jungle Fever uh, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he made good music up until up until well uh, I can't say that because he's still making music. He is. He's still making music. He is, but I feel like Prince just gives so much more reign. So not only was he doing those songs that, that that make you fall in love or that explain how it is to be in love, he'll he'll give you the opposite and you feel it just as much. The I hate shoes, or he'll give you the the songs about those one night loves, the darling Nikki. Like who else could do a darling Nikki type track like but him? And then he gives you those upbeat. When it comes to just a straight up party party, if you saw him live at the forum or anywhere. The Baby I'm a Star type songs go off. The the Let's Go Crazies, you can't touch those type tracks. And when it comes to soundtracks, it's hilarious that I didn't realize it as a kid, but I love Batman. So I, I got the Batman soundtrack back when I was a young, young kid. I didn't know until after he died. Sounds crazy enough. I, I just didn't realize that that was Prince. Because mm. as a kid, I just put it in Batman. I didn't care who it was. I didn't know. So it just shows the eclectic range that, that Prince had. And he, the thing about Prince is he's one of the only artists to me that you get. Every single set of people has a different set of uh, favorite Prince songs. A white crowd, a young black crowd, an old black crowd. You ask them, them their favorite 10 Prince songs, they're going to be, be completely different because Prince had that much range. So time. from there, I, you know, I could have kept going, but, you know, the time, <laughs> the time just cut me off. Mm. But, you know, but it's all good. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I rock with either of them just like you rock with either of them. Right. But I'm still Team Prince. With I got to so. be Team Steven. Yeah, I get it. So at this time, we're going to let our producers go ahead and... Uh, you know, discuss who they feel is the winner of this beat match. And, yeah, let's see. And the lady, do you want to start with the concert experience? I love that you give me this opportunity. <laughs> um, because I definitely saw Prince at the forum and I was super hyped. Uh-uh. A concert? I knew it was going to be a concert. And hey. <laughs> I definitely hey. had some Prince involved in my, my wedding ceremony. Um, but You did, you did I, huh? Yeah. I did. I'm going to go down to that. But uh, I saw I saw Stevie a lot more, uh, and I actually used to volunteer for his House Full of Toys concert every Christmas, and I did like three years in a row. So it was like talent handler, and I'm all in with Stevie in the live concerts. Um, so I'm going to vote for Stevie today, but I do love both of them. Um, I'm just like you know, 11 years old blind a harmonica and you did a happy birthday song like i don't know how you want to top that like prince <laughs> like the birthday song hey. people who don't know who did that that's stevie two chains made that that was two chains wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute you're not talking about big booty hoes right stevie can't even see a big booty and know that wasn't him <laughs> He, he could feel. It. He felt it though. He felt it. Well, he felt a couple of them. He got a lot he of kids. He got a lot of kids. You're right. Yes, he does. He's still making kids. Y'all not right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna go with Stevie. I uh, when you said that about the wedding, the wedding, the reception, the honeymoon, I felt that because my parents' wedding song was Stevie, uh, "Ribbon in the Sky." But then they swear that I was made to the Purple Rain soundtrack mm, a few years okay. later. <laughs> hey, okay. Right. So without these up. two artists, there would yeah. not be me. Uh, 
Hey, hey, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so this, like, go- going into this was just so <laughs> neck and neck. I didn't know beforehand. Um, I didn't have. I, I honestly, when I opened this doc and saw this is what y'all were doing, I had what I think that the lady has most episodes is I was just angry like why are y'all doing this um (laughs) no way they get on my nerves (laughs) yes um and so uh this is just based on the arguments um that were brought forth here and um I'm gonna go with Prince on this one oh Mm, okay okay all right all right Oh, with that, so, I mean, it looks like we're tied. We, we've probably been tied three, four, five times now. So, you know what that means, audience. Once again, it's you time. have to be the tiebreaker. Hit up that Behind the Wheels pod hashtag. Hashtag Behind the Wheels pod. Let us know who you would pick. And, I mean, it might even depend on what type of battle it is. It might be if it's a 20-song battle. With them, it might be 50 songs. Or it might be yeah. whatever it is, whatever you want to count it as. I'll say this. Prince, Prince will whip him up in some basketball. <laughs> Ain't no way. Well, that, that, don't, that don't count. That don't count. I'll say, I'll say when it comes to making some pancakes, I mean, you know who wins that. Hey, yeah. Stevie hey. don't have to cook. People cook for him. <laughs> whatever, whatever. But hey, so everybody who's out there listening, let let us know who you who you feel would come on top the, who would come out on top in the battle between Prince and Stevie. It's one of those tough ones. I know it is. It's probably it's, tough. it's purposely to make y'all mad and make y'all think, but it's where I, I'll say this. If anybody thinks it's one or the other too quick without it being a competition, I probably don't want to hear what you had to say because nope. there's some folks who don't really – you have to know both of them to, to realize how close it is, period. If you if you just say it's one and not the other too quick, then I don't, I don't trust you too much. So think about it and hit us on that hashtag. But make sure, please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And also, once again, we do have our official playlist on Spotify with the links and uh, the link for that is in the show notes. And of course, in that playlist, you're going to get some Stevie, some Prince, some DMX and everything else that we've mentioned thus far. And please continue to support the show. I appreciate all the support that's been out there for yes. us. And yeah, and make sure you follow us. I'm at DJ R-T-I-S-T-I-C on Twitter and Instagram. EB, let them know where you are. I am at EB, the number four, and then Prez, P-R-E-Z. So EB for Prez. Um, on everything. It's just the same name. Same thing, same thing. And I'm on Twitch uh, on weekends, typically on Fridays, also on some Saturdays, but always on Wednesdays for West Side Wednesdays, mm-hmm. twitch.tv slash R-T-I-S-T-I-C 310. And we will be seeing you all next time. We appreciate you all for tuning in. That was episode number 13. 13. Uh, 13. Yeah, 13 of them. So, hey, that's behind the wheels for you. We'll see you at the next one. Out. We out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Munts and the lady Yahuma Sek. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound. 